Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, boys and girls. My name is Joshua Bradley Winter, and welcome back to the Birding Life Youth Podcast, the podcast where we talk about birds with the young people who look for them. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. He is a Boston, Massachusetts resident, a shade-grown coffee campaigner, a scientific bird name pundit, and most importantly, the recipient of the American Birding Association Young Birder of the Year Award. This is Henry Malik Scott. Hello Henry, nice to finally have you on the podcast. I've been chatting to your parents on Instagram uh, for a, about two weeks now and it's good to finally have you on here. You too. <laughs> okay, so you're a very young birder. You, yeah. It's it's quite... It's quite different. It's it's not. You don't often find eleven-year-olds that are birding, and I think when I was eleven years older, I didn't really like. You know, I always loved. I've always loved nature and that, but I kind of just sat inside and played video games as hey. much as I can remember. Yeah. So, how exactly did you start birding? So um. I started birding pretty much just as soon as I was born because my dad is a birder and my brother is sort of a birder. So I've just been surrounded by birding. So they just carry me around when I was a baby and even though I didn't know any of the bir- what any of the birds were. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's all family-oriented. Mostly, yeah. Mostly, yeah. That's very similar to me, um... Both my parents don't bird, but my my aunt birds, my other aunt birds, um, my grandpa birds. So yeah, it, it's it kind of runs in the family blood, like like, yeah. like your family. <laughs> yeah. And how did you get into drawing? Because um, in at least in South Africa, we I've never heard of a youth birder drawing. That is. We we all take photographs, all the youth birders take photographs, but I've never heard of anyone drawing. So it's quite interesting to find such a young birder who draws such amazing photos. Thanks. And, yeah, just to tell us a bit about your, your drawing. So um, I'm sure I've been, like most kids, I've been just drawing normally, but drawing, like, birds in particular, I I only started it, well, I've been drawing birds, obviously, just with crayons for my childhood, but I started, like, my bird drawing streak most likely just because I thought it would be a cool thing to do, and I got in the habit of it. So that back then, I used to do a lot of colored drawings, but now I usually do sketches, but once in a while, I'll do a colored sketch. That's very cool, and I see that... You sometimes draw on your, uh, well, they look like digital drawings, so I would assume they're on your iPad or something. Yeah. Did, was that a, a new thing that you've started? So or? I think I, did, I started it a little bit later than when I started my bird drawing streak. But, um, yeah, so I draw on my iPad. I have, a like, Apple Pencil, like a stylus. So it's basically like mm, yeah. a normal pencil, but if I draw on my iPad, it can draw lines for me. 
So I'm doing digital art, as it's called, and traditional art, which is just traditional art. Traditional, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, it, there's really some phenomenal photos. Are you... Uh, phenomenal drawings, not photos. Are you So are you thinking of um, writing a a field guide at some point and putting your photos in there? So I've been, so I would like to do a field guide someday, but um, I'd still have to draw a, a bunch of colored birds. So I'd likely start small, like a field guide to some common birds of a local pond. And maybe then I'd move on to like Massachusetts or New England. But yeah, eventually I might want to do it. Yeah, that that'll be really cool because um, I don't know about anyone else, but my drawing is terrible. So writing a field guide is like out of the picture for me. It's something I'll never be able to do. Yeah. So it's really cool that you can draw. And I've read some of your poems, some of your stories. Thank you. They're really good. Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting to see what you do in the future with regards to yeah. your your drawing and your writing. Yeah, because oh, I um, I I did not have any real like like no one really does have natural talent. And my first birds, like when I was starting my streak, they looked like lumpy potatoes with bills and feet. <laughs> but I've improved with just practice and committing to drawing every day. Yes, yeah, that's that's very good. Of course, practice makes perfect. Um, I like to say practice makes progress because it's hard yes. to be perfect. Yes, it, you can almost never be perfect. <laughs> and then, so you, you're a very special young man as you have won yeah. the American Birding Association Young Birder Award. Can you tell me a bit about how that happened? So, um Sorry, I am. Um, so the ABA Young Bird Reading Association thing, it's just a thing for a lot of young birders just to go. And there's a few modules and they submit their thing like artwork, illustration, um, photography. And I submitted, I submitted a for illustration, photography, and conservation and community. And I think this is my first year doing it. And I think I'm very surprised too that I won. Yeah, you, you wouldn't expect to win in your first year. So that's, that's quite incredible. Yeah. And um, you've started this, I don't know, would you, would you call it a campaign where you yeah. advocate for people to buy shade-grown coffee? grown yeah yeah so uh, how did you how did you decide to choose shade grown coffee because personally i don't drink coffee i know nothing about coffee and i had no idea that growing coffee affected birds it, it when i read your article about it it blew my mind because it's something that had never crossed my mind before and something that i would never think a young person could think of you know yeah so um, when I was originally deciding on this, I chose, me and my mom chose, like, I think about three or four different things. The shade-grown co uh, 
like campaigns to advocate for. The shake grown coffee one to keep your cats indoors because they kill about 2 billion birds each year and um, get bird friendly windows and don't rake the leaves on your yard excessively. But I think we started with the shake grown coffee campaign and that really took off a bird pun. But um, so I think we'll probably make different campaigns for like keep your cats indoors, etc. But for now, the shade grown coffee is our main one. And yeah, that's that's very good. Um, and it's bringing awareness to something that not a lot of people know about, and not not a lot of people would even think about it. So can you tell us why shade grown coffee is better for birds? Sure. So um. Shade-grown coffee, so to start, shade-grown coffee is different than normal coffee because instead of just being grown in big coffee plantations where they clear-cut the forest and plant the coffee there, shade-grown coffee, they just plant the coffee within the rainforest and they have to have a certain number of like shrubs and trees to be considered bird-friendly coffee or shade-grown coffee. And it's better for birds because um, the birds, migratory birds, means they travel really far across the year. And in the winter, they spend their time in the south, like Mexico. And the the coffee places, they can get insects, they can get fruits and it's easier because the rainforest isn't cut down so the birds have a better place to spend so winter so basically they grow the coffee within the rainforests so that so i'm assuming coffee's grown in plantations yes generally just agriculture generally they just cut down forests to plant Mm, yes so, so this coffee is grown within the rainforest. So it's plant the coffee plants are planted amongst all the other plants. Then, yeah, basically, okay. and it's better because it it wastes less water because it's not evaporating, and there's a lot of benefits. Okay, so it doesn't just benefit the birds; it benefits no. the general environment yeah, and like local economies. Because the... mm. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's very cool, and something that, yeah, I, I want, like once again, I would have never thought of that. Yeah. And I saw that you've spoken to. I think I saw somewhere you've you've spoken to coffee shops and supermarkets about this. Yes. So um, I've spoken to a few local shops, and, and the one that got to I got to um, put it up on their bulletin. And also some big chains about it. Okay, about it. Okay, and, and so they've. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Yeah, and my goal is that like eventually, like shake grown coffee should be e- or bird friendly coffee should be easier to find, and it should be more. More coffee yes. should be shake grown. Yes. Yeah. It should be more accessible. So. Um, and and these places have they listened to you? Have they have they changed their their the coffee they use? Um, I'm not sure exactly, but I think that it has changed a little bit. I okay. think they've definitely listened. They've listened. Okay. Well, that, well, that's good. So yeah, uh, in South Africa, we're not big fans of change, 
but it's yeah. good to hear in America that they they at least listen to you. <laughs> yeah. And then well, tell me about your trips you've been on recently. I've heard you you went you, you left the US recently earlier this year. You went to a very nice yes. island. Can you tell us about that? So, um I the winter in um where I am New England, Massachusetts in Massachusetts more specifically, the winters are always so uh, very gray and dull. And me and my family decided that we wanted to have a vacation. So we planned to go to Puerto Rico. So it's a territory in the Caribbean. So it's technically in the U.S. And I saw a lot of birds there, probably 20 species I had never seen before. Staying okay, for just sure. about a week. For about a week. Sure, that's quite a lot. And obviously, Puerto Rico, it's quite different to where you're from. Because you, uh, yeah. I don't know much about America, but Massachusetts, to me, I've always heard of it as quite a cold area, whereas yeah. Puerto Rico's tropical rainforests. So was that quite, I know when I, because I'm, yeah, I'm assuming in Puerto Rico there's big trees and it's m- more forest birding. Yes, right? it's more like um, palm trees, like the in Florida is like the most tropical part of the mainland U.S., but in Puerto Rico, there's like palm trees, a lot of like forests, and there's a lot of biodiversity because generally in the tropics, there's more. There's more, yeah. And did did you struggle at all with birding in a forest? Because the first time I went to the forests we have here, Mahubas Cliff, for the South African listeners, you'll know what I'm talking about. I have never, my back felt like it was broken after the first day there because I've, all the birds are in the canopy. None of them are on the ground. So constantly looking up. And I wasn't used to this because normally I would bird in the Kruger Park where there's not, there's big trees, but it you're not looking up constantly. So it was a very big change for me. Did you, did you feel a little bit different about forest birding at all? I did not feel that different because um, where I am, there are many forests because even in like beyond my backyard, there's a big forest and um, looking up in the trees, there's small little migratory birds called warblers and sometimes the sore feeling you get in your neck after looking up for a long time in the trees to try to find them is called warbler neck. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. So, and a lot of birds like to go high up in the trees. So, there wasn't that much of a difference in that regard. Okay, okay. And I've I've actually heard of a way. I don't know. Do you have a pair of binoculars close to you? No. Um, no. Not not next to you. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So basically, what you do, you hold your binoculars at a forty-five degree angle. And yeah. so you're not seeing through the binoculars completely clearly, but you can still no. see them, see up into the trees without bending your back. And uh, yeah, it has saved me from my back completely breaking before. Yeah, whenever I go birding, <laughs> binoculars are sort of really a necessity because usually how I use them is instead of just scanning with my binoculars, I look with my eyes and I locate the bird and then I quickly raise them up. Yes, yeah. That's that's the best thing to do. Because um, when you're looking with binoculars, w- when I go looking for birds, I often look for a change in like a different color to the surroundings. Because often birds, they look like they may be green and they may be sitting in a green tree. But there's there's something different, you know. So whenever I'm scanning, I always scan with my eyes. 
and then only do once I've spotted the bird, do I use my binoculars? Because yeah. I often find it it's easier to find a bird without your binoculars yeah. than it is with your binoculars. Because if you look one second too late with your binoculars and the bird flies, you'll be clueless to where it went. Yes, yeah, you'll have no idea at all. <laughs> and then you said you've been to Canada before? Um, yes, I've been to Canada a few times, but I haven't been into like... I haven't been in a very cold part of Canada, just um, Montreal. So, but you can still get like birds that would be rare to see um, where I am in Massachusetts. Like a lot of yes, finches, yeah. like evening gross yes. beaks and such. Oh yeah, I've, I've, that's actually a bird I know from America because of a YouTuber I watch. He had he had evening gross beaks in his backyard for the first time. So. I know what you're talking about there, considering I know nothing about American birds. Yeah, because even though we're really close together, like here in Massachusetts, an evening gross beak would be very rare. But in, say, Ontario, you could get get one. It would be as common as like a house sparrow or something. Oh, okay. Sure. So it's just where you're situated that they're a rarity, as we call them here. And then um, speaking of rarities... What is the rarest bird you think you've seen? Do you think it's the the gross beak or? I think the rarest bird I've ever seen, I'm talking about rarity in the way that it was rare. The place I saw it was a barnacle goose in right near like 15 minutes from where I live in Massachusetts. And barnacle geese, they're usually found in like Europe. But one oh, got okay. lost on its migration route, probably by a storm or something, and it ended up in Massachusetts. It actually went to my local hotspot, but we missed it. Oh, so it was at Longfellow Pond. Yes, but so I, but we had already seen it very far away at somewhere else. Okay. Okay. We didn't go there because it was the coldest day of the year, but. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. It was like negative <laughs> five. Negative five. Well, I have to say, I've never had to bird in those temperatures. Me neither. Because, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't often drop below zero here, unless Me you're in neither. the grasslands. Yeah. I think that was the first time. Sure. Okay. And then the yeah, like the rarest bird I've seen. I don't know if you've ever heard of a wood warbler. Yeah. So yeah, they they live in Europe and they they migrate down to Central Africa for the year uh, for, for this. For the for the northern hemisphere winter, and so it's summer in Central Africa, and then so they they're around like Kenya and the yeah. the Congo and that. I think wood warblers are actually mm. the name for um also then is the name for like the warblers we get here because they're not related to the warblers in Europe because wood warblers okay. are like the New World warblers too in Perula yes. Day. Yes, yeah, I get what you mean. Ours are mu- ours are much more yeah. colorful. They're like bright colors, usually yellow mm. and red. There's a lot of red. diversity. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the photos of the warblers in America, and they are a lot more colorful than here in Africa. Here in Africa, like the the most colorful warbler that I can think of is um, well, the most colorful warbler I've seen is the uh the willow warbler ah, he's, yeah. a, he's a 
Yeah, a pale shade of yellow. It's almost. sort of yeah. I've seen photos of them before, and I'd say it sort of seems like we also get vireos, which are sort of similar to warblers. And I think the warbling vireo, which I get a, a lot in the springtime, I think that would sort of match a willow warbler. Okay. Okay. Then yeah, there are some. There are some more colorful warblers. I think it's the. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. I think it's the yellow reed warbler or the African yellow reed warbler. They're very bright yellow, but I, I've never seen one. Uh. So, yeah, I haven't been able to tick him off. But yeah, anyways, the the rarest bird I saw it was a, a wood warbler. Um, and he had done reverse migration. I don't know if you know about reverse migration. So something goes wrong in the head. So instead of migrating back to Europe, he decided he was going to come down to South Africa. So we took a weekend trip up to Palabora and uh, it's a small town in Limpopo and he was just hanging around in a fever tree there. So it, it, he, wow. yeah, that's, that's the rarest bird I've seen. And then Henry, you are incredibly good with your scientific names. Thank you. When, when we were having a conversation earlier, you started talking all these Latin words and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and um, how on earth did you learn all these scientific names? Um, well, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but um, there's this person in North America in like the United States not named David Allen Sibley and he has a field guide to the North American birds and that's probably the most common field guide that's published in yes, that yeah. it's used in North America and yeah. his book I think I probably learned this all the scientific names from that book okay so you literally you would see a bird, you would go look at its common name, and then you would just look at its scientific name and decide to remember it, pretty much. Yeah, because, okay. and um, I think usually when I'm referring to North America, I think I'm referring to the ABA region, because usually in birding, North America is just the United States and Canada. Yes. Not yeah. Hawaii, even. Oh, is Hawaii not included? No. Well, I suppose it is quite far from yeah. American mainland. It's yeah. far from anywhere. Yeah, it's in the middle of the ocean. That's the place I would like to go to is Hawaii. Yeah. I'm sure they've got very nice birds in Hawaii, but uh, I have never I have never even yeah. decided to look at what birds they have. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, um, sadly, there's a lot of invasive species and there's a ton of extinct, mm. extinct like honey creepers, but there's still a lot of biodiversity. Okay, yeah. I want to ask you, what do you think, so... You know Florida, it's a... Yes. If you put any animal into Florida, it will thrive. No matter if it's a python, a snake, or a a crocodile. Yeah. And you know Florida is full of invasive species at the moment. What, yes. what would you do if you were the Florida government and you had all these invasive species? What do you think is the solution? Because I know some people like to kill the pythons, some people catch them and I don't know what they do with them after that thing they keep them as pets but I think that's illegal now so what what would you do 
I'm not exactly sure. I'm sure I'd know if I was the Florida Florida government, but <laughs> I think something like that, like maybe trapping and removing them, it would be a lot. Obviously, it would be a lot of work to get them back yes. to their native habitat. But I'm not sure. It would have to have some sort of clever solution. Yes, yeah, because a lot of people they they kill. They like to kill the pythons. Um, and then sell their skins. But I've always thought that, yeah, the pythons aren't supposed to be there. They're destroying the ecosystem, but it's not their fault. They didn't swim across yeah. the ocean en masse to go there. People just put their pythons, they released them into the Everglades, and now they're stuck there. So, unfortunately, killing them seems to be the way to go at the moment. Yeah. But um, I'm sure one day we'll find a better way. To remove yeah. these snakes and other invasives, and yes. then finally, what is your favorite destination to bird at, and your favorite bird? So, favorite bird that is—it's difficult to choose a favorite bird because it's like picking a favorite child when you have <laughs> ten thousand children. But I'd say I'd probably narrow it down to maybe like warblers or finches, some sort of small like songbird. And um, my favorite place or destination to bird, uh, I think I just might stick to my local hotspot, Longfellow Pond, because there are tons of birding destinations I'm sure I'd be at, but nothing, sometimes nothing beats a local hotspot. Yes, yeah. Your local hotspots they always have a special place in people's hearts because you know it's generally where they started, first started birding, yeah. and where they they often go back. And then to end off, I didn't tell you about this, but I have got a bit of a quiz for you. And so I've written down five birds' names and their scientific names. So I'm going to read you the common bird's name. And then you're going to tell me the scientific name and we're going to see how many you can get right. Okay? All right. Okay. So we're going to start off here with the great blue heron. Ardia heroides. Yeah, that, that is correct. Thank uh, you. Red, red-billed woodpecker. Red-bellied woodpecker? Uh, billed. Billed? Yeah, yeah. I saw you, you and your dad saw one at... Longfellow Ponder. Oh, day. I think that might be a red-bellied woodpecker because I've never heard oh, okay. of a red-billed woodpecker. Build. But a red, yeah, yeah. a red-bellied woodpecker would be Melanorpes carolinensis. Yes, you are correct. I I write that yeah. down wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, an eastern Phoebe. Um, Sayornis Phoebe. Yes, that's correct. An eastern kingbird. Tyrannus Tyrannus. Yeah, that is correct. Thank you. An American woodcock. Scolopax minor. That is correct. Thank you. Oh, well done, Henry. That is phenomenal for a eleven-year-old. Uh, Thank like, you. Yeah, I, uh, as you can hear, I'm quite speechless because. I've never heard anyone say so many scientific names. Yes, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce all of them, but I definitely know, and I'm not sure how to spell like the long ones, but I definitely Mm. know a lot of them. 
out of them. You're, you're like one of those kids, you know. Um, you know Ellen DeGeneres. No. Oh well, she was a talk show host in America, and she always had these like geography whiz kids on. And I think you should go on her talk show because, um, I mean this is incredible. Do you know all these Latin words? Yeah. I also, words. Um, mm? this isn't exactly about birding, but I also, yeah. like, I memorized all the country flags and really? I know most of the country shapes. Oh, wow. But okay. that's not as much, like, a passion. That's just... A passion, yeah. That's just something you did. Because I, I sit in front of me here with a... So once again, this is a bit off topic of birding. But I sit in front of me here with a, I've got a massive map on my wall. So I can tell you most of the capitals in the world, but I can't tell you the shapes of the countries. <laughs> no. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't tell you the capitals. I could, uh, you know, I could name, um, I believe South Africa has three capitals, right? Yes, I we do. I think they're Pretoria, Cape Town, and Blomfontein, but I'm not yeah, sure yeah. about the last one. Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. Bloemfontein. That they, they oh. I'm not too sure what the status of that is now. I don't. It was it was the third capital, but I think they've kind of removed it now. Ah. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. But anyways, Henry. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It was an honor to have you, and I hope to have you back in the near future. Me too. It was an honor to be in this podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birding Life Youth Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to The Birding Life on all your favorite podcast players and social media platforms.